welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode, I'm joined by brilliant comedian Ria Lena. You've probably seen her on all of the comedy TV shows there are. I've known Ria for a long time in the comedy world, and we'd never really had a proper catch up about our divorces, even though we're both divorced. So it was really nice to have a proper natter. Uh, Ria talks about living with her ex still, um, having children with your ex and going through the divorce and also balancing work and being a mum. And it was a really fun chat. So enjoy. I am joined by comedian, actress and writer Ria Lena. Welcome to Hello. The Divorce Social. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be social about it for once. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the aim. We're trying to be social. It can be a lonely, lonely path. So In this is this is lovely. Oh, well, thanks for joining me. Um, how do you feel? other than social, being on The Divorce Social? Uh, well, other than social, I feel single. <laughs> I think that's that's the most accurate way to describe it. I feel single and all of the emotions that go with that. There's the elation, there's the freedom, and then there's the despair. I'm never going to be loved again. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of equal measure. Like, it's, it's strange. It's like being, um, do you know when you laugh so hard that you cry, yeah. but at a funeral? It's that. <laughs> You know, you know, like the depth of your despair is so great that the laughter comes on top of it. But then under, you know, it's just an empty. I think anyone who's been divorced will understand this. And anyone who's still happily married or has yet to enter a relationship goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. But you get what I mean, right? I get it. I was there. You were there. Um, also, when at my dad's funeral, um, mm. I did the obituary and I, it's the best gig I've ever done. It was standing room only because he died when he was 60 and oh, everyone gosh. really wants to laugh at a funeral. So yeah. my laughs got, you know, huge responses. I got an applause break. It was great. It's a slightly manic laughter though, isn't yeah. it? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is the laughter I prefer to get at all times. Manic it, laughter. Isn't it what we aim for? We aim for that. Well, what we aim for is to to evince that laughter to the point that those people need us in their lives. Yeah. They're like, I'm laughing so much that now I'm attached to you forever and I must come and see all of your shows, including your new tour in September. Oh, I love how you slipped that in there. Just slipped that, that in there. Very smooth. Rhea's on smooth. tour in September. I'm on tour in September. And for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, I'm single. Same thing. Anyway, <laughs> I've stopped doing stand up now, so we can fully push everyone to your tour. Um, but let's let's talk about divorce let's again. Um, single dumb, singleton, single like Bridget. No dumb. I think it's single dumb. Single dumb. But I like to imagine that there's a special world for singletons like Bridgerton, where we all have sexual 
intense relationships where we never actually have sex. But isn't that what Club Med was? Is that not? I've heard of this thing called Club Med 18 to 30. Is that not where just single people went on <laughs> holiday? Is that not what that was? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know what? We say this like it's a genius idea. I'm sure it already exists. But at the same time, why do none of us that are single know where to find it? There must be somewhere. It'd just be so much easier to be able to go somewhere where everybody is single and just shop, you know, like a shopping mall for singles. In fact, I just I've never watched it in my life. And someone someone kept posting on their Instagram stories about married at first sight. And so I kept asking them going, what do you mean? What is this? And they went, just watch the show. So I've watched my first season ever of married at first sight. And I've never been so attracted to an experiment in my <laughs> life. I've just gone, can someone do that for me, please? Can someone please just scientifically pick someone that they think I'd work with? Yeah, but have you got to the end of the season yet? Of this latest, it's Australia and it's the latest and I just finished it. Because it doesn't always end up well. So I don't it doesn't. Know. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? But do you know, okay, can I just say, I know we're, we're going off divorce, but this is very relevant. One of the things relevant. that irritates me about that show is the fact that they never apologize when they get it wrong. I feel like the experts should go, we are so sorry that we didn't vet this person better. And it turns out that they're a manipulative psychopath. Yeah. They're just like, oh, it didn't work out. <laughs> and they never do. They just go, oh, why didn't it work? Did you not try hard enough? Maybe next time grow for your next relationship. And I'm like, no, no, no. Some of those people should be locked away. Nobody should be. In, in fact, one of them, and they shall remain nameless, but one of them now has a girlfriend. And in the articles about the new girlfriend, they're like, we don't think the new girlfriend has ever watched the show. And we're like, of course, because nobody who's watched that show would ever go out with that person. <laughs> yeah it's not a good selling a marketing tool I can't watch it I find it too triggering I was actually invited oh. to the launch of the UK one the most recent oh. series so I did watch it at the launch but I find the whole like you know people going to, into marriage and I'm like they don't know what they're signing up to and then they have such emotional experiences I want to like hug them all and get them counseling, but they do get counseling. Oh, through I'm sorry to hear that, that that was your experience of it. I have to say as a, as a proper romantic underneath it all, I kind and I grew up on Regency romance novels and things like that, which of course is fundamentally wrong by modern standards. Regency romance novels are forcing men and women to get married, but then, oh my gosh, as luck would have it, they actually <laughs> like each other. And I think that's shaped my brain. There's something about the you're going to just have to get on with it with this person. And the only thing that's really wrong with the men, I mean, they're gorgeous, they're rich, they're intelligent, they're talented. The only thing wrong with them is they're a little emotionally suppressed. That's it. They're emotionally unavailable. And that to me now is very attractive. I'm like, I can, I can, as long as they've got all the other things, as long as they're gorgeous and rich and talented and intelligent, I can work I can work with the closeted, unable to express themselves bit. And you though, because a lot of people I'm sure who listen to this podcast will be like, yeah, but I had that and it was terrible. I know. No, <laughs> I, I get that. In, but I think that this is the interesting thing about marriage is that it isn't about just the other person in isolation. You are a puzzle piece. You are a uniquely shaped puzzle piece. And it's also about what you're inadequacies are and whether the two complement each other. It, there's a lot of, I think that's one of the problems with being single and wiping the slate clean is that you go, well, here's my checklist. Here's my checklist. They have to be perfect in this way, perfect in that way, and perfect in this way. And everyone's going around looking for perfect without really going, but actually I'm not perfect in certain ways. And I know I'm not, I'm very independent. I'm very demanding, not of, not in a, oh my God, you have to hug me every day and kiss me every day. And I need to know that you love, not in that way. I do want my partner to be as invested in what they do and as passionate in what they do as I am in what I do. And I recognize that's because I'm a workaholic. And if you're not a workaholic, this isn't going to work. So I'd rather that both of us constantly almost be like, oh, I really wanted to see you, but I can't, but I appreciate that that's because you're working. But then on another day, you want to see me and I can't because I'm working. I'd, I'd rather that we both understand that that's why we're not spending more time together than having the imbalance of, Oh, you go out every night. I'm like, yeah, that's my job. I'm a comic. I go out every night. This is interesting because I think I, my marriage, I was with a bit of a workaholic and I'm a bit of a workaholic. Oh, and it didn't work. No, 
because we both put work before each other. <laughs> so the priorities weren't there. Whereas now I'm with someone who is not a workaholic, who's like a lifeaholic. And it works so much better because they're he's like, you know, yeah, you enjoy your work, go for it. And I'm going to enjoy this time relaxing. And then when you get home, we can join each other in the relaxing time. And I'm like, oh, that sounds lovely, too. But but a life. But you said lifeaholic. So he's still passionately into his leisure time or whatever, you know, Life. his hobbies or whatever yeah. he does. And I think that counts. I think that, you know, what I've learned from marriage is that you have to acknowledge your own puzzle piece in order to find a working relationship. And my mother told me when I t told her I got pregnant before I got married. And that's not why we got married necessarily, but I was pregnant first. And she said, Oh no, what have you done? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, you never have babies with the first one. You practice marriage with the first one. Then you have babies with the second or the third one, which is what both my parents did. And, and she wasn't wrong. You learn so much. I've seen so many successful second marriages and third marriages because people learn from the first one, what to do, what not to do and who you are when you face someone or when you're with someone. And I've learned so much. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons that I did decide to get divorced rather than work on it. There comes a point where you just go, no, I, I'm not gonna work on this because I've learned enough that I need to wipe the slate clean and take my learning into the next one and and be a better, obviously be a better partner and and be a better half of a of half of a relationship in the next one instead of, try and fix you know we were a certain shape when we met and we both changed shape over time and rather than try and shave those shapes down it's just go why do that just take your new shape as you are as you've evolved and just find a better puzzle piece that fits it i like that and also i love the sound of your mom although not She's useful great. feedback when you are pregnant <laughs> why have you done that too late yeah. it's in oh. there the other thing she said was, oh, no, I just I was just about to replace the sofa after you kids had gone. <laughs> I was Practical. so young. I was so young when I got pregnant that I think my sister had only just left home for uni. And so I, wow. you know, I was like I was in uni and I got pregnant. And so she was she was like, we were just about to redecorate the house, a kid free. We were looking forward to some kid free years. You had to go and have I she loves her grandbabies to death. Don't like that was not the moment my daughter arrived she just was like whoop that's my granddaughter uh, but um yeah no my she mother didn't let her sit on the sofa because it was new oh no <laughs> she never changed the sofa that's the problem she never changed the sofa we have pictures of the babies on the sofa drooling and whatever whatnot so well let's go back to that then so you were at uni you got pregnant yeah. and that's yeah. when you got married uh, yes, but I did get pregnant on purpose. So my ex already had a son and I knew I wanted kids and I didn't want, we were raising his son anyway. And it, I was like, I'm not going to like raise my stepson and then, and then wait till I turn 30 and then have babies myself. Cause that's like a lot of child that's child rearing for, you know, 30 years essentially. So I decided to just have my kids then for a number of reasons a so that my stepson could have siblings that he could actually relate to because he was an only child so it'd be really nice for him to you know be a part of that and be a child with other children uh b because my ex is more than 20 years older than me so again if i waited till i was at child you know the sort of acceptable social childbearing age i finished with uni minimum um <laughs> then he would be even older and i didn't want my children to have an older father I wanted them to have, you know, because that's the thing that I think, didn't Nero just have a baby at 79? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's really unfair on the child because you'll that child will be lucky if they have a kid, uh, have a father at 11. Yeah. And he, and it, and everyone will go, is that your granddad? And he'd be like, no, that's my dad. So I just wanted them to have as much of their dad as they possibly could. And also I wanted... I guess to a certain extent, I, what I didn't want to do is have this, I was very ambitious and I wanted to have a great career and I didn't want my kids to fit around it. I wanted it to fit around my kids, which is an entire podcast discussion in itself, 
whether that worked or not and whether that was the right idea. I mean, if you're a comedian, either way, you're not putting your kids to bed. doesn't matter whether you have them when you're in open spot or whether you're, you know, headlining clubs, you're out in the evening. So, But you can be there when they wake up. No, I'm asleep. I got in at one in the morning. I'm exhausted. I'm asleep. <laughs> but I... You're there in the day. I was there for every school assembly. There you go. Every bake sale after school, every school fate, I was there. Well, this is the thing, though, isn't it? A lot of parents feel guilty about lots of different things. You're you're never going to please everyone, yourself, the children, your partner, your work commitments, you know, so it is a balance, isn't it? I think the whole idea that women can have it all isn't true. And I think that it's because and and we shouldn't change this it's because we have very high standards for ourselves you know it's it's not society obviously expects us to be earth mothers the moment we have babies we have to be earth mothers but then also our jobs expect us to compete with the men and to give as much as the men do and you know and then we're good daughters as our parents age and we're good wives to our husbands and and you can't have it all and you cannot be everything but the guilt is our own the guilt of that is our own and it's a tricky one because it does come from a lot of social censure. There is a lot of social censure if you, if you know, like the fact that I didn't really put my kids to bed. That's hard. That's hard for me as a mom because I know with every TV commercial that you see and every Hallmark movie that putting your kids to bed is the special time and reading to them is important. And But you make up for it in other ways. You have to do what, what you can do for your kids. Yeah. And as a children's author, I would say... You can read to them at any time, as long as it's one of my books. There you go. See? <laughs> exactly. You can read exactly. to them at lunch. Now I feel even more guilty that I gave them iPads. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> well, no, you can get Kindle. It's fine. So it's interesting you mentioned there the good wife and the good mother. Mm. and the. What do you think the good wife is, means? Do you know what? I genuinely don't know. I do and I don't know what a good wife is. I think there's a good wife in terms of, especially in the UK, we're quite traditional in what we believe that means. The reason I, you know, I one of the reasons I I got married and genuinely it was like a to-do thing on a list. It wasn't, nobody proposed. I was so tired. I was so young looking when I was pregnant. I was so tired of people checking in with me and making, you know, wondering if social services needed to be involved. You know, is this pregnancy intentional? Has someone made you do this? Are you okay? You know, if I said my boyfriend, they pictured some pimply 19 year old, you know, that couldn't be bothered to come to my appointments with me. When in reality, I was, you know, I was with, a, you know, a man in his forties and we already had a six year old at home. So I, I just said to him, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of what society is doing to me. If I get married, I can just say my husband and be done with it. And no one questions it. If I go, oh, my husband couldn't make it. Oh, my husband's working. They go, oh, okay, this is, this is perfectly acceptable. And then all the questions stop. I called the local registry office and said, do you have any appointments free on this Saturday in August? And they laughed at me and they went, you're calling two months in advance and you expect there to be an appointment? <laughs> We're say, the most yeah. popular registry office in all of London. And they went, yeah, fine. You know what? We're going to humor you and we're going to check. And they checked and they went, oh, we just had a cancellation at midday. And I went, I'll take it. Thank you very much. Seemed to be enough of a sign that it was a good idea to do it. And that's it. We showed up midday on that Saturday, said some vows, signed some paperwork. And that was it. We were married. And it was really, it was literally just convenience. I think I wanted the kids I genuinely don't think I wanted the marriage. I didn't not want the marriage. You know, I've never daydreamed as a child about a white dress or walking down the aisle. I always, I always dreamed about having kids. The man was never really in the picture. Could never really, oh gosh, this is insightful. I feel like you're having a real moment. Yeah. Here. No, I just, well, I'm just remembering, thinking about, I always, I remember always, you know, my dolls, my, my bear or my dolls, they were always my babies. I was very maternal. You know, I never pictured what the guy, but that's hard. It's hard to picture the guy, especially when you're a kid. You don't think about romance or anything like that. You don't think about where the kids come from. You just know you want kids. I mean, I was the complete opposite. I didn't have any babies. I had a dog. First of all, I had an imaginary dog. And then my mum was worried about me. So she brought me an actual like toy dog that you could wheel around so that 
the neighbours would stop asking questions about my imaginary <laughs> dog. And then I used to um, pretend that I'd get married by like putting a veil on and wanting to marry everyone that visited the house. Um, so I was fully imagining. So we're like the opposite. I was fully imagining the other half. It could have been anyone at the time. Um, and then I got married and then I got divorced and then I got a dog in that order. So maybe that was the issue. Maybe I needed the dog first. I needed the dog first. See, I had the I had the kid first. Yeah. And then just sort of went, well, might as well. I don't, you know, this is weird. And and maybe if you interviewed my ex, he'd say otherwise. But right now, the way that I feel and the way that I remember it is that I was a little nonplussed about it. I was still the driver of it. I won't deny it. Like he wasn't going, let's get married. But I'll be honest, he didn't drive anything. I don't think we'd have any kids if we waited for him to say yes to anything. I just kind of went, we're going to have a baby now. And he went, well, I don't know. It's a bit earlier. I'm not sure. And I'm like, I'm pregnant. And then next I'll be like, okay, we're going to get married. And he's like, really? I, I don't know. You know, and I'd be like, it's on Saturday. I think that was the way it went. So if, I guess for you, a good wife wasn't really the thing. It was more about being a good mom or just a mom. A mom. It was very much. I had people inside of me, inside of me that needed to get out so I could be me. I mean, I'm imagining some sort of alien scenario here, but kind of it was it's I think that you know it's that biological clock mine was just earlier than most people I had a very strong biological clock that said I must procreate I also up until I gave birth had nightmares about childbirth until I until I had kids and I had those as a child and I and I say that about childbirth not I didn't have dreams where I was literally on a bed pushing I had a recurring dream for years throughout childhood where I'd get into one of those tubular slides and as I go down it and as it coils it would get smaller and smaller and smaller and there's people in front of me and there's people behind me and the people in front of me somehow are getting out of these really you know it would it would narrow to you know six inches and somehow they're getting through it and I just had this deep-seated fear of going down this slide and they stopped once I gave birth so it was like a nightmare where you were the baby yeah but it was just a fear of the process yeah, it was a fear of the process, and I used it. And I think it, metaphorically, it, it meant a lot of things in life, like exams, final exams at you know at, at high school or uni, were also a similar thing where you go, I've got to go through this process, and I know that I cannot stop time. And at some point, time will come where I'll go into the hall and sit down and open the paper and do the paper, and then the only thing, the thing that would get me through that intense fear of I have to go through this process is knowing that there was always going to be another side of it. Time would continue through that two three hours. And at some point I'd be at the other end of it and it would be done. And that was the only thing I could think to get through it. Same with childbirth as you go, I have to go through this, but at some point at the other end of it, I'm going to, you know, be done and my baby will be here and that will be my prize. And that's the, that is actually one of the amazing things about childbirth is that you get a prize at the end of it. It's an intensely, it's an intense body situation. It's one of the most you know, it's one of the most traumatic things your body can go through. But if you're lucky, and I recognize that not everybody is this lucky, if you're lucky, you come out the under end, other end of it with the most amazing prize. I love a good prize. Right? What's the best prize you've ever won? Oh, gosh, I don't even know. I, when I was at school, I was in a drawing competition, and then I won. And then we had a professional photographer. I don't know if this is the best prize, but it's memorable. We had a professional photographer come and take photos of us. But we, were, I think it was the prize was sponsored by like Esso. So we were in a we were in a petrol station, and there were two women dressed as cheerleaders, like adult women with um the pom-pommy shaky mm. things um standing either side of me like in really short skirts and then there was me like a six-year-old just holding up a drawing of a burger I think it was and I was in the paper and that was my first taste of fame <laughs> and I was like wow oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into that this shaped career you, didn't it that it shaped, shaped you me. up until then you were gonna be an accountant <laughs> and then the pom-poms got you so thank you SO I guess <laughs> I don't drive to this day, so maybe that had an effect on me. Yeah, to make up for all the oil damage yeah. there. So, yeah, yeah, that's good of you. It's good of you Thank to compensate. You. you know, I was like, sponsored early on and I thought, no, I'm going to react against this to the oil companies. Okay, I'm going to blow your mind. When I was 12, I guessed the correct number of sweets in the jar. 
I know. Is that I not the best? I expect that from you, though. Ever. Because you're, <laughs> you're so like, I don't know, you're so on it. I feel like, did you work it out or did you just guess? To my recollection, it was a, it, well, first of all, the way that they did it is they had um, a big chart. So rather than just go, oh, no, wait, was it a big chart? Or did I just like put 827 down and it happened to be right? Wow, that is. Impressive. I don't even remember now, but I just, you know, you did eyeball you, it. Obviously, you eyeball it. You do a little. Do a I was going to say, did you do the thing though, where you like count down and then across and try and times it by the volume? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> you just go. I I reckon there's like twenty five in a layer, and there's seventy layers of jelly beans. See, that's why I expect you to win because I just go um five hundred and one. <laughs> just from absolutely nowhere, just yeah, from out of my brain. So yeah, but I've done a lot of those competitions. That's the only time I've won it. I'm impressed. How old were you? Twelve. That's impressive. Did you win all the sweets? Yes, that was the. That's the beauty of wow. the game. That was the prize. <laughs> is that and were your parents like? Oh God. Uh, no sweets. They were really strict when I was younger about sweets. When I was growing, when I was in primary school, we were allowed sweets for an hour between 11 and 12 on a Saturday. And my mother only ever put boiled sweets in the jar. So it took us longer to eat them. So we could only, you know, rather than chewy sweets, which you could eat have, uh, a huge amount. Very clever. Nice. By 12, I think she'd given up. So you had your first child when, well, you were pregnant when you were at uni. So did you yeah. have your first child when you were at uni still or did you graduate? Uh, no, I just, yeah, I'd graduated. I just finished. Wow. So what was it like? I raced to finish and then we we're like, okay, we're ready. Due date. And then of course she was late. So then we sat around for two weeks going, oh, any day now. You can come now. You were married at this point by now. Uh, yes, I got married while pregnant. So how many babies did you have? Because you said you had a lot of babies. Three. Three. Three babies and one stepson. And how long were you married for in the end? In the end, it was 18 years, I think. 18 so it was years. a long old marriage considering you said it was just a practical thing to begin with. Yes. I mean, 18 years is is a long time. I don't think that you could say, and, and everyone again, everyone who's been married knows this. You, you, it might have lasted on paper for 18 years. That doesn't mean that you were married for 18 years per se. And and we still live together, just sort of total full disclosure. We actually still live together um, now, even though we're divorced now. Um, and I think that that's partly because we had drifted apart over years. And so the divorce was actually more like, let's just sort the paperwork. Like I, I didn't see any reason. It was after the pandemic. I went, is there really a reason to stay married? We're not really married. I think he needed that as an ending because he, the moment that I, I said, okay, I'm going to push this paperwork through. I know that it, it took him a while to kind of get used to that idea because even though we weren't married he, in his head, he wasn't single, you know, it took him a month. I mean, he has a, he has a new girlfriend now, lovely woman. Um, and they've been together since we've been, getting divorced so they got together before it was official uh, and I think that he needed that push to move on and I didn't appreciate that I didn't appreciate that he'd actually kind of been in what's the word like limbo limbo that's the word I didn't realize appreciate that he'd kind of been in limbo with his own life because as far as he was concerned he was still married so for him it, it meant that and so I because I this is the irony of it I've been sort of sitting there quietly going if he finds a new girlfriend this could be quite straightforward and we could just you know get on with moving even further in separate directions. And it wasn't until I vocalized it and said, okay, we're moving to the next phase that he went, oh, okay. And moved on in himself. And if, and then if I knew that I would have been vocalized a lot sooner. So at that stage, were you, so you're still living together, but are you in separate bedrooms or have you had conversations about the end of your relationships? I think we'd been in separate bedrooms since shortly after the third one was so maybe the last definitely solidly the last eight years six years seven years it happened yeah. over time so uh, what happens we had a, a shared bedroom obviously and he gets up early in the morning and i go to bed late at night so i'm waking him up when i get into bed and he was waking me up when he got out of bed uh 
not just with the getting out of bed, but also with the deciding that after an hour, you know, he'd get up at five or five thirty, and then he'd do an hour of meditating or whatever else. And then at six thirty, he'd be like, "I can play guitar quietly in the bedroom." And I'd be like, "No, no, you very much cannot. I don't understand why you <laughs> no. think that that at six thirty it is acceptable when I went to bed at one or two. So I started going to sleep on the sofa. I'd fall asleep on the sofa because I was just getting better rest. And then eventually I went, well, then I might as well move a duvet up here. And then you move, you know, sh you, you move sheets up there. And then suddenly, you know, everyone's living with your bedding being rolled up at the end of the sofa because every night I unroll it and I sleep there. So it started with me just sleeping separately. And then eventually we sort of started rearranging furniture in the living room. So I lived in a corner. So the back end of the living room was mine. Uh, and then over time, you know, we just turned the living room into my room so do you think that was the beginning the separate rooms of the breakdown of your relationship or do you think that had started earlier and that it was more of a uh no the breakdown had happened because of other issues you know it wasn't just I started sleeping separately and therefore we ended up falling out of love or going our separate yeah. ways I think there were there were definitive things that happened in the relationship that certainly for me meant that I could not go, it was a trust issue and I could not go back to a position of trust. And if you, if I don't trust, and I think a lot of people, it's the same, if there's no trust, I think there's no intimacy or it, it gets in the way of intimacy. And so the breaking of the trust meant that the intimacy was gone, which is why sleeping separately was then no longer an issue because we weren't seeking each other out for that type of comfort and also I think messaging gets muddy so for example because we were not being intimate and that's normal in marriage anyway just aside from anything else because we were not being intimate frequently if he came up to me and looked for physical contact I could misread that as oh you're trying to hit on me and he'd be like well maybe I'm just looking for a hug or a cuddle or just to connect and I'd be there going yeah but it feels like you want to it feels like you're just looking for sex and then that became a bit of a, you know, that became another wedge that drives you further apart. Uh, but fundamentally for me, it was, it was the breaking of trust that meant that I didn't want to have him inside me anymore. I was like, I know, just no. And so you still live together now mm -hmm. and he has a girlfriend. How mm -hmm. does that work? Well, he goes, he sees her at hers. He'll visit her. Because are you still in the living room? Are you in the same yes. house? Yeah. So he doesn't place. have to walk through the living room with his girlfriend to go upstairs to the bedroom. Uh, well, she never comes to ours. Ours is a family home. It's it's the two of us are living together and raising our children together. That's that's what it is. It's basically, <laughs> it's all bedrooms and a kitchen. It's kind of like a house share. It's just like a glorified house share at this point in time. But we, you know, we still work together. We co cooperate on things like he he's home more than I am. So he kind of runs the house to a certain extent, keeps the kitchen stocked, feeds the kids when I'm gone. But when I'm home, because I'm the cook, I'll cook, you know, I'll cook up some food and feed them some alternative recipes. You know, I do my own laundry. My daughter does her laundry. He does the household laundry. And is this a situation you're happy with or is this something you want to change? I mean, the, again, and it comes back to children. It comes back to children. I work and travel so much for my job. I mean, right now we're recording this. I'm not in London. It makes more sense that I move out. And we live in London. We can't afford two households of a similar size between us. We mm. can't. And by staying in one household, we get to provide our children with extra things that they wouldn't otherwise get. And if I moved out even to a small household, let's say I get the tiniest of studio apartments for the cheapest rent imaginable. Then when I come back from my trips away, I'm going to this little room by myself and then my children see me even less than they already see me because then they'd either have to come to the studio apartment or I'd have to then knock on the door and ask to be let into what is then my my ex-husband's household to say, hey, can I come in and see my kids in the house that they're in? I can't afford to move out and get a house that they can all fit in at the moment. I just, you know, I just don't have those means. I mean, that's, you know, we're talking about finding what a four bedroom, a three, four bedroom house on the open market. And I'm just right now with the way things are that's that and still give my kids nice things won't be able to happen so I think the best way to put it is we both love the children more than we are indifferent to each other 
I don't want to say dislike or hate each other because I don't think there. I don't think there are obviously strrong feelings. There are undercurrents of of resentment and bitterness. You're going to find that in a divorce. But we don't hate each other. I, I think I can say that on his behalf. I don't know. I don't. I mean, he would say his own thing. I don't think we hate each other. I think there's a certain indifference, but that is workable because of how much we both love the kids. Yeah, and I mean. I didn't mean when I asked that question, I meant no judgment. I'm just interested in your experience. And it sounds like it's a really practical solution and it works for your family. Do you think you're happy there? No, I think that, and actually my daughter's very unhappy. She wanted, she wanted me to move out and provide an alternative household for her. And, and so in that way, there's the guilt where you feel like, I feel like I've let her down. I feel like in some ways, it's good for the kids because we're both there, but in other ways, it's confusing for the children because it, you know, we actually fight a lot less now than we did when we were quote married. We fight a lot less, but that's also because we both removed a certain amount of emotion from the situation, you know, so that there, you know, we are just ships in the night. We are just two people functioning together. I think that children can't help but feel that there is a certain lack of that means that there's a lack of love, you know, like if you can, you know, if we were a pentagon, the last two points aren't connected. Yeah. All the love's for them. All the love is is for them, but not necessarily in the household. Now that we don't have a shared living space, it's very hard for us to gather and spend that time together. But this is where I do things like on most Sundays, often I come back from, you know, I'm a weekend away gigging. I come back on the Sunday or I come back late on the Saturday. So Sundays, I usually, I often take the kids out for brunch and we have that as a ritual and we will go out and, and that's where I get to see them is where we all sit at a table together in a restaurant, but then we're spending 50, 60, 70 quid feeding four people in a restaurant. Yeah. And those are the kinds of perks that couldn't happen if I moved out and still wouldn't happen if I moved out to a place where there wasn't room for them all to sleep anyway. So am I happy? I, no, I mean, no, my ideal is I think that nobody who grows up with the middle-class upbringing that I had, you know, I had the middle-class upbringing and my parents had a house and we had a garden and, and, you know, in two cars, one for each parent in order to go to work and do the shopping. I don't think anyone who grows up that way goes, well, where do you see yourself you do, later in life? No one goes, well, I see myself in a pokey little London flat with no living room, with nothing on the walls, sleeping in a single bed, like a student raising my children, in you know it, with the air quality below health standards no one no one goes yeah that's the dream i still would love to have a house i still want to provide i still dream of providing a house where all of my children have their own bedroom with windows that they're because we live in a basement our flats in the basement with natural light and maybe a bit of a garden where we can have you know drinks in the evening together and it's entirely possible that i won't be able to provide that for them before they've all grown up and left home and and then what and then i'm going to hope for boomerang children i'll be like i know you've been out living and working independently on your own and being very successful but hey mommy can afford a house now want to move home and pretend that you know just relive your teens in a different way for like a summer maybe i don't know if I'll, you know but that's the thing with kids i don't know if i'll even get all three of them together and how frequently can i get all three of them together in one place Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ding dong, it's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong! With the living together arrangement, how was that when you were recovering from a breakup? Because there's there wasn't really, I guess you had the conversation earlier, then you did the paperwork push, then your ex got into a new relationship, but you, you've not really had that extreme separation. So how was that, that breakup experience for you? The thing is, is it happened over time. So it was, it was incremental and it was gradual. By the time I did the paperwork push, we were already living separate lives. And I think that the pandemic brought that home to me. I loved the pandemic for myself. I recognize a lot of people didn't, but as someone who is traveling all over the country, here, there, and everywhere, internationally, often gone for days, if sometimes weeks at a time, to suddenly be told, you're gonna stay home. You're gonna stay home with your kids for two years. And all you have to do is cook for them and help them with their homework and spend time with them. That was a dream. That was an absolute dream. And I had such a wonderful time doing that and go and, and also focus on yourself. And the weather was brilliant. I don't know if you remember 2020, beautiful weather. So I could go out, I could run, I could exercise. I could just, it was very, very healthy for me. But it was also some of the loneliest time I've spent in my life. I, I, I would often go to bed and feel acutely lonely. Because, you know, we, you know, and this is what I think a lot of people felt is that you lost that ability to socialize. Now, I don't socialize a lot per se. I'm, I'm very much, I prefer one-on-one -on -one with a friend at their house for dinner than a nightclub or a pub. I can't do, with the autism, I can't do loud places and noises and, and overstimulation. But to suddenly have that completely taken away, it brought home how much I'd been relying on my career and on my ability to go out and do a job that I love, how much that of my life that filled. And it also made me realize how little I'm hugged. And I'm not a big hugger. Again, as an autistic, I'm not a massive fan of contact with loads and loads of people. But I think that there is something to be said for a really good hug from someone that you have an emotional connection to. And it really brought home how I didn't have that in my life anymore. Children aside, but also once your kids are past the age of about seven, and all of mine are, hugs are rare or hugs have to be asked for you have to say come come on give your mom a hug come on hug mama you know where's my thank you where's my thank you all of that you just kind of and they go thank you mama bye and then they're off so it was that that also made me do the paperwork push is that i realized that i had been putting my own personal life as a woman on hold for my children and, and my career you know that's huge my job is huge i am very much a workaholic but that I had been sort of neglecting me as a, as a woman. And I think that was the other reason that I pushed to do the paperwork is that I was like, right, I, need, I realized I needed to actively work to put myself into a space of availability if I wanted that to change. And we both did, we both actually, he and I both went on the apps at the same time and he had luck and I did not. I think so many people would be able to relate to that though. I remember desperately wanting to hug after I got divorced and just, yeah, not even sex, because to be fair, I was having quite a lot of sex. <laughs> Woo! Oh, um, you're my hero. I, I talk about it on the podcast, my sexual explosion. I just went for it. Um, uh, but yeah, I just wanted like a really good hug. And I remember thinking, God, no one like touches me anymore in like, a non sex just like a comforting yeah. way. Yeah, so I can definitely relate to that. I think I found myself over hugging some friends and sometimes people who aren't as close to me and they'd just be like, <laughs> what, what are you doing? I'd be like, nothing, just, just, okay, thank you. <laughs> well, to this day, I am a hugger. I mean, I, th I do think I've always been a hugger, but I'm definitely a hugger. I mean, I say to people now, are you a hugger before I hug them? Because I know some people 
you know, don't like physical contact, but I, I always try and give everyone I see a big hug because I feel like, you know, back then, if a stranger hugged me, I would have been thrilled because that's all I wanted. So if I can be a, a stranger hug to people, then I'm very happy to do that. <laughs> I feel like now I've said that I'm going to get people walking up to me in the street being like, can I have a hug? And to be honest, that's not the worst thing in the world. So I'd be pleased with that. No, and it and it's true. I think hugs are underrated. I'd be interested in the scientific experiment of how much mental health we could improve simply by simply with good hugs. There is that hug that makes you cry though, isn't there? When you know, you've been holding it all in and then someone hugs you yeah. like they care and you're like, I can't hold it in anymore. And and it goes. I know. And and also I sometimes when I, it depends it also depends on the time of the month. I'm very yeah. beholden to that. Uh, and I definitely have friends that are we're close friends that consciously go, I should not meet with that guy at that time of the month because then I'll completely change our relationship. And that's not that'll be very confusing for us both in a sexy way or in a huggy way. I no, will no, we'll not even see. Not, that's what you're saying. It's not even about sex, but it's just that I have a lot of platonic friends that I have a very intellectual, emotional connect, you know, intellectual connection with that. If I were to suddenly go, can I have a hug? I think they would, that would just short circuit their brain. These guys would be like, I, I don't, wait, what, what, what do we, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? But then if you say, I just need a hug, not in that way, just, just, I just need, could you just provide this service for me? It would kill it. Yeah. You can't win, can yeah. you? That's the thing. There's a difference between sex and, and the kind of touch you get. There's that in between touching that you get when you're in a healthy relationship. And it can be little things. It can be just when they, you know, they rub you on the arm or, you know, squeeze your hand or all of those little things add up. And the absence of them isn't noticeable until you do something like go through a pandemic and it's completely taken away. Yeah, it's, it's funny for me because I was single for years and with my partner now, you know, sometimes he'll just like rub my leg and I'll, it still shocks me now. I'm like, oh, that's nice. I remember when no one was doing that for years. Aww. See, I love that story already. I mean, he does have a habit of rubbing me in the middle of the, like rubbing my arm in the middle of the night and waking me up, which is not a good Why is rub. he rubbing your arm? Is he asleep? And he rubbing he like wakes up for a second and then like almost like checks I'm still there and then rubs my arm to be like, oh, she's still here. But then that wakes me up. So I'm like, I know it's you're doing a nice thing, but it's annoying. Don't wake me up in the middle of the night. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah. How was it sleeping with someone in the same bed again after not sleeping in the same bed as someone? Because I've been sleeping solo for 10 years. And, you know, I've, you know, I've been on a few dates and whatever and have, have spent the night with another human being all the way till morning. And I really struggled. I was like, I can't, I don't, I don't know that I could ever go back to sharing a bed. I mean, maybe if I like them, you know, enough, I wasn't in love with any of those people. So mm. maybe I could survive it, but I'm, I'm so used to the benefits of having my own sleep space. Yeah. I think obviously, you know, when people used to like stay the night or I'd stay the night, I could cope with sort of one night. I wouldn't love it, but I'd always be really relieved when I got the bed back. But I've always slept on one side, even when I was single. I just couldn't stretch oh. out. I just found it weird. But then but then my dog and my cat would sleep on the other side. So there was also that. So I'd like share the bed with my pets. But um, yeah, it is a weird thing. To begin with, it's nice because you're like, oh, I really like them and they're here all the time. And then you're like, oh, my God, I literally have no privacy in my own bed. <laughs> like what if I want to have a wank before I go to sleep yeah. you can't do that with someone lying next to you so there is all those weird things that you don't consider like I like listening to rain noises sometimes I have tinnitus and before I go to sleep and you know introducing that in the new relationship you know when do you say can we listen to rain noises before we go to sleep like you don't want to do it in the first month because <laughs> it feels like a, a, I don't know, it felt like an old lady thing to suggest, but. I don't know. I think you can mention that sooner than like, what are your thoughts on anal play? 
you know. <laughs> oh, I see. I think I'd see it the other way around. Oh, really? I feel like what are your thoughts on anal play as like part of the dating experience? Do you listen to rain noises? Is more like, <laughs> shall we move in together? Um, oh, intensity. this explains why I like older men, doesn't it? <laughs> um, this is where I'm going wrong. But yeah, it it is. It was a weird because we live together now. It was a weird process of getting used to. First of all, having someone in my bed quite often, but he didn't live here. So then mm. he, he'd go and then I still had my times where I could be like, have my own bed experience. But then, yeah, when he moved in, it was like, oh, wow, I'm never going to have a night. Like I've got to, I don't know, I sort of felt like I had to be like the public face of beds rather than the private face of beds of like, I don't know. I know what you mean, actually. Then suddenly there's a there's an etiquette, isn't there? Yeah. You go, oh. You have to consider another person in the bed sharing world. In the bed yeah. sharing world. I think that I would try, I'd have to be, because I still will need another room for my clothes and things. Yeah. I don't, I've looked at some houses and looked at the bedrooms going, that's not big enough for everything that I have now. But I'm so used to living in one room. I live in one room like a student. So my desk, my bed, my wardrobe, my makeup, you know, my toiletries, my hat stand, they're all in my room because that's all we have now is that we each have our own space to do in what we like, but I have to work and sleep in, you know, in my costumes and everything. They're all in one space. I guess if I had a house, I could move some of my books to the actual living room. <gasps> that would be exciting. Yeah. Spreading out is nice. Although then you just get more things because there's more space. That's my experience anyway. But you mentioned that you're autistic there and obviously you're quite open about that. Do you think being autistic has affected your divorce or your experience of divorce or marriage or motherhood? Well, it can't not have. But at the same time, because I've never not been autistic, I couldn't tell you what the contrast is. But you've never had that moment because I know with being deaf, which is obviously not the same, but with being deaf, I do have moments where I'm like, oh, if I wasn't deaf, you know, interesting. Like when we're in bed at night, if my partner turns the light off, we can't have a conversation in the dark because I've taken out my hearing aid to charge it and I can't lip read because it's dark. So there are those moments where I'm like, oh, I wonder if we're missing out on that intimacy. Oh, that's interesting. Talking in the dark. We definitely learned. So we didn't learn I was autistic until halfway through the marriage. And that's where we learned that I'd been misreading his face for the first half of the marriage. That definitely happened. So so that just meant that we adjusted. So I'd go, why why does your face say scorn? Why are you being scornful? And we'd be like, that isn't scorn. I'm angry or I am tired. And so it certainly improved our communication in that way to suddenly go, oh, I've been reacting to what I think you're portraying when in fact I've been totally misreading it. But the flip side of that was that then every miscommunication was my fault. So whereas before we were just having misunderstandings because he wasn't angry, but I thought he was angry and we'd flare up about that. Why are you angry? I'm not angry. But now what it became is, oh, you've misread that again, Rhea. No, that's because you've misunderstood. And that, so it it allowed a certain amount of, I don't want to say gaslighting. Your autism was like the card on the table of, oh, we can get out of this. It meant that that there was a certain shift in whose fault everything was if something went wrong because I had this thing. But then on the flip side, it was also never fully allowed to be an excuse. So it was a real kind of quasi land, by which I mean that if I had, if I was having a particularly rough day and I'm yelling and, and, and shouting and everything, he would say that that was me being abusive rather than I was having an autistic meltdown. It was an, it was abusive behavior. So, and, and, and again, let's, I'm trying to be as balanced as possible. One could argue that experiencing an autistic meltdown is equivalent to feeling abused, but you have to, it has to be one way or the other, either, either it's abusive, in which case get out of the situation. Don't just accept it. And certainly don't accuse me of it over and over again. If, if that's the case, like change the situation or 
help me with my autistic meltdowns or help understand how to prevent those and work around those so that when they do happen, you're not at the brunt of it. But don't just use it on the one hand to going, well, you're autistic. That's why you're not understanding everything. But on the other hand, go, gosh, you're so abusive. No, no, I'm autistic. No, you're just abusive. It can't, it has to be, you know, consistent. And I think that that was probably another reason that, that, you know, there's another contributing factor to some of our communication issues was, was whether or not autism was an accepted reason for things or not. I mean, I learned a lot as well over time. I learned a lot about when I melted. So when, so before I knew I had it, I was melting down all over the place and I was having very physical reactions. My temperature would drop. I was, you know, I'd end up shivering or, you know, I had very visceral meltdowns because things would get to a point where I was beyond control. Once I found out and they went, you have this thing, you will be overwhelmed, these things. And once I started noticing it, I went, oh, so then I could remove myself from situations or control how much I was exposed to situations to really reduce that down and also remove myself. So I was able to verbalize in later years, if I was having meltdown, I'd be like, I am having a meltdown right now. And if you don't want me to be yelling at you all day, I would suggest you remove yourself from my vicinity because I am not in a position right now to be reasoned with. So I was able to vocalize it. And yeah. I think that changed things. I guess when you know, you know, it's it's like when I discovered I was deaf later in life, all of a sudden, lots of other things made sense. And then I could like put stuff in place because I'd be like, right, well, I know yeah. in this situation, I'm going to feel overwhelmed because it's a club and it's going to be really loud and noisy. So I can let people know instead of, you know, maybe reacting in a way that people don't expect or misread. Um, so now you are divorced. You're still living together. Your children are grown up. You're single. as They're you not grown up. No, my kids are all still at school. Well, over seven. So oh, they're, they're over not, seven. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're not babies. Yes. Yeah. Um, they're growing up, let's say. Um, and you're up. single and you're doing amazingly at work. What does the future look like for you? What are you excited about? I don't, you know, it's still, it's still day to day. I'll be honest. It's still very much day to day. I think, as I said earlier, I am a hopeless romantic. I do love a Regency romance novel. And I, and I must confess, like I've read more of those in my marriage than other books, you know, like I've probably read three Regency romance novels to every other book that I've read, but I would still like to find, so I still am hopeful of finding that next partner and being excited. And I'm excited for what that looks like. Cause I'm really open to different shapes of relationship. Now, I think when we, you know, when we were all growing up, we only knew one shape and that was heteronormative and married. And now, now it can be so many things. I think that I'm still heteronormative and I'm still probably, I'm too autistic to go with it. Although that's my form of autism, not everyone's. I think for my form of autism, it does need to be one-to-one. -one. I don't think I could handle one-to-many or many-to-one or, or, or I'm just with you, but you're with others. I don't think I could do ENM, ethical non-monogamous or anything like that. I think I'm still pretty traditional, but I am more open because of my lifestyle to it being we see each other for a week intensely and then not at all for three weeks or we see each other on you know weekends my my ex usually sees his girlfriend on the weekends um i'm just open to it having a different formula to what was before i would certainly like in the future to have my own household like a proper grown-up house i'd like to live like a grown-up i genuinely don't live like a grown-up i if you looked at my room and said, who lives here? You'd go a student. I haven't really evolved beyond that. That would be partly be because of the mess. And that would also partly be because there's like, the, there's nothing on the walls as if the landlord has said, if you put anything on the walls, you lose your deposit. Yeah. Also, you do look, you mentioned it earlier, but you do still look young and you get comments about it all the time. I um, do. So that's so 25 year olds. Give me a call. We <laughs> leaning like into we that. Fit. Yeah. <laughs> leaning in. No, I can't. I'm not going to date anyone younger than my my stepson. That's my rule. Fair. It's a good rule. I think so. So you're you're excited about the future and a new relationship. And I think that is exciting because it can be very lonely being single. And as I said, I was single for years after my divorce. But when I started this podcast, I remember thinking, 
no one's ever going to love me again. I'm never going to find anyone like this is it. I'm alone now. And then, you know, I came out as bisexual, did all the paperwork, got divorced, was single, had a sexual explosion, and I'm now in a relationship with a man. <laughs> so yeah, right. um, another one. Um, but we live together and, and you know, I am in love. And it was something I couldn't imagine, like at the beginning of that divorce journey. So I I do think it's, it's, I remember being scared and sad, and but it is very exciting. And so I'm excited for your Regency novel. Thank you. Yes, I would. Uh, yes. So if anybody knows of any landed gentry. Yes. Um, but he must have hat. at least 10,000 a year. Of course. Of course. Of course he must. All good gentlemen should. Yes. I'd love a <laughs> Corinthian. If you know what that means, DM me. I love it. Um, well, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Having a chat. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Where can people um, follow you on social media and things? Please find me on the social media of your choice. Your choices include Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or LinkedIn. Actually, why Ooh. not? I'm there too. Uh, but my website is realina.com. So I put everything on there. All of my tour dates are on there. Uh, bits and pieces if you want to see or listen to things. So when this comes out, um, this link will be on there as well. Uh, and just, yeah, keep in touch and uh, come see my tour. It starts in September around the UK, but we'll be adding more dates for 2024. Amazing. So, yeah, tour starts September 2023. Oh, it's called Reawakening. Love it. Um, yes. Love a bit it's of wordplay and, and sexually, hopefully, during well, the tour. It's, well, it's all about this. I mean, this, if this wasn't the perfect podcast for me to push my Reawakening tour. <laughs> and if, you know, maybe if people are interested in dating you, they could come along to the tour show get a little introduction to you and then chat you up after for a hug. Do you know what? That would be a first because men so rarely go up to women after they've been strong and funny on stage and go, hey, can I take you out and treat you special? Just, can we have I a naked hug? Yeah. yeah. my when I Back in the stand-up days when I did stand-up, I feel like an old lady. Um, my uh, friends, my male comedian friends, straight male comedian friends, were always getting people coming up after gigs yep. and chatting them up. And I'd be like, yep. What about me? I talked about boobs on stage. That's sexy, right? <laughs> it's very rare. No, it doesn't work with the, with the, it doesn't work with the, again, it's the heteronormative dynamic. Cause I think that anybody else gets hit on. I think I've seen lesbian comics get hit on. I've seen gay comics get hit on straight men all the time. All the straight time. women. Never. Although, do you know what? I get a lot of husbands messaging me not in a bad way but they'll often say oh i just saw you on tv my wife loves the top that you were wearing i'd love to buy it for her where can i get it which i think is really sweet That's half the time nice. i wonder do you have a wife are you or is this just your <laughs> excuse to talk to me but then a lot of them send a picture like one guy said she loves your jacket i told him where to get the jacket and then he sent a picture of his wife in the jacket and i was like oh why can't i get a man like that that's, that's so, so cute sweet. Well, I like that. We need also just to let you know, some people who've been on the podcast as guests have been asked out by listeners afterwards. So, Did it work? Has anything worked out? I don't think so yet, but I think they've been on, they went on a date and had a nice time. I went on a date with someone who asked me out who listened to the podcast. I had a and? lovely time. Aww. It's not the person I live with now, but I had a lovely time. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? Well, so this know. isn't a podcast. This is actually a dating yeah, service. it's like spill all of your emotional history and then go on a date. Well, it's not a bad idea because if they've listened to this entire episode and still think they want right. to take me on, as it were, yeah. um, then then I, I, I am, I'm trying. It's like a, it's like really? a new oh, version thanks. of the show. Take me out. Take me on. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Uh, hosted so by not, us, not Paddy. Of course. Me. I think that'd be a great idea. Let's take really difficult humans and go, <laughs> can you date these people? But yeah. it's, I've, I have to say, it's the one thing that we can't fathom. Why do serial killers get wives in jail? Someone's willing to take them on. <laughs> Let's not compare you to a serial killer. No, oh, sorry. You but know, that's yes. quite a good point. I, I have <laughs> not, nor will I ever plan on killing more than one person. No, and I've known Rhea for a while. She's very nice. So there you go. That's my recommendation for dating you. you. I'm sure you wanted it. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Pleasure. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.